Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to welcome in a special guest, a Colts expert from Colts.com, Andrew Walker. Tom McLevy's going to stop in for another McLevy minute, and Sands is going to come by to talk about the Ravens game and the upcoming Colts game. Todd Pennington with Columbus-based Revolution Mortgage is the proud sponsor of the unofficial Bengals podcast. If you're looking to refinance into a very competitive low rate or cash out for debt consolidation or home improvements, now is the time with historically low rates. Todd should also be your go-to guy if you're looking to purchase a new home or get out of renting. So contact Todd Pennington at 614-390-9520 or visit revolutionmortgage.com slash tpennington for more info. Revolution Mortgage is an equal housing lender, NMLS ID 1686046. The unofficial Bengals podcast is brought to you by the Zedia Network. Week 6 Preview Cincinnati Bengals at Indianapolis Colts. I know the Colts are probably expecting it, but we're coming out with five wides. And up top, it's going to be Sample, Boyd, and Green on the outside. And what we do is, the first play, screen pass to A.J. Green, let Boyd and Sample get out in front and block for him. Right away, go to A.J., get his confidence up right away. Hey, you're a part of this game plan. Boom. Next play, line up in five wides again. Quick slant to A.J., Hey, we're really getting you involved right now, so let's go. Now's the time. So that's my advice for attacking the Colts and getting A.J. Green involved early and playing it safe so Burrow doesn't get hit on those first two plays. All right, let's talk about some of the headlines before we get into the Colts game. We signed Xavier Williams, a defensive tackle. He's a 300-pounder, so he's going to definitely find his way into the rotation. It's good that we've been finding some serviceable guys there because we're taking a big hit at that position. Think about all the injuries. What we had Wren go out, Reader out for the year. Brought in Daniels, he got hurt, Atkins has been banged up, now we have Sam Hubbard who's going on the IR, so a lot of issues with that defensive line. Definitely something we're going to need to address in the draft and free agency next year. And I thought it was an area of strength going into the season, so it's kind of a shame. You never know how things are going to work out with injuries and things of that nature. Another headline, and this is just my personal headline, the team is still playing hard. I know Coach Taylor's been getting some criticism, and you know people are already calling for his head. I am not from that camp, believe me. He's got these guys playing hard, even though they're 1-3-1. and one. Just like last year, even as a 2-13 and 13 team going into that last game, they were, they were playing like it was a playoff berth. So that's what I think Zach Taylor is good at. I think he's a great speaker. I think he's a good motivator. I think he has a good offensive mind. And I think he's very well organized and very systematic. So I think those are his strengths as a coach. But what I think needs to happen is he needs to give up the play calling. And he can have a big hand in it. He can, whoever's going to call the plays down the road, whether it's Coach Callahan, I think it would be best so he can just focus on game flow, head coaching, and big picture stuff. And then the Burrow press conference. I like to talk about that every week. He's unfazed. He's still confident. He realizes it was a bad game. He's learning from every mistake he makes. So to hear him speak very calmly and confidently in that press conference was relieving. And he's talking to the right people. He has Archie Manning and Kurt Warner texting him every week. Those are some pretty experienced NFL quarterbacks to be giving him advice. So that's all good stuff. And then, of course, his meeting with Peyton Manning before the season started was very helpful. 
All right, let's move on to the injury report. Mackenzie Alexander is still appearing on the report. I'm not sure of his status for this week. Darius Phillips has been filling in greatly in his absence, but we still miss Alexander, so I'm hoping that he comes back soon. Giovanni Bernard with a groin. We didn't see him much last game, so he might have gotten hurt during the game early on. So I'm not sure of his status for the week. I'm sure he's going to be playing Hubbard, as I mentioned earlier, on IR. And then Darius Phillips and Auden Tate both have shoulder injuries. I I assume they're fairly minor, and those guys will be playing this week. As the games go, guys get banged up, and, you know, it's going to affect performance a little bit. But you got to move on. And if any of these guys don't play this week, then the guys that are playing in their absence have to step up. All right, so what are my concerns for this week? Obviously, main concern, protecting Burrow. They have a great defense, solid all the way through with some big-time players. DeForest Buckner and Justin Houston are going to give us a lot of trouble on that defensive-offensive line matchup. And if Darius Leonard plays, that's going to be trouble as well. And they have nine interceptions as a defense, so they're all over the place. They're a very sound defense, and you can't let those big playmakers get you. So that's my big concern. I think the real key is stopping Buckner. He has the potential to wreck this game, both getting to Burrow and blowing up Mixon's runs. Defensively, I'm worried about the run game. One of the best offensive lines in football, I think Quentin Nelson is the best guard in football, and they have Ryan Kelly at center. I don't think Anthony Costanzo is going to play this week, which helps, but everybody they bring in there is solid. So what they're going to be doing is running Jonathan Taylor right behind that line, and we're going to have to get in there and mix it up, be stout in the middle, and be ready on the perimeter. And then Mo Ali cox is the number one rated tight end, so that could give us trouble. I think he's banged up, but I'm sure he's playing this week. So the typical suspects, we got to stop the running backs, and we have to stop the tight ends. So what do we have to do to win this game? What would I do if I was the coaching staff of the Cincinnati Bengals? On offense, I would take some cues from what the Browns did. They established the run, although we don't have the same kind of personnel, and then they were freely going downfield to those quality receivers. Number two, play keep away from DeForest Buckner. See where he's lining up and audible out of going in his direction on most plays. I think it's going to be the key, staying away from that guy. And to protect Burrow, until the offensive line gets everything straightened out, if everything gets straightened out this year, quick passing game, screens, quick pop passes, slants, all the quick stuff, get the ball out of his hand, don't let him sit back. Don't let them start getting to him and him taking another pounding because it's just going to start sliding downhill. It's going to be a slope of, wow, Burrow's getting pounded again. We're not going to be able to win this game. And it's going to just raise a lot of narratives in the players' heads. And it will work against us if he starts taking a pounding early. So get the ball out of his hands. And although Sands is going to talk about this later, they're not really known for a lot of exotic blitzes and and sending a lot of pressure. They just kind of get it from their front four, which is really good. I would still expect some of that because... You know, NFL is a copycat league. They're going to look at what the Ravens did effectively against the Bengals and try to simulate some of that. So we're going to have to be ready for that as well. The assignment errors that were made last week need to be examined fully on tape, and all of those linemen, starters and backups, have to realize what they're doing on every play, every situation. Get these guys overly prepped for this game so there's no more missing free runners. So defensively, what do I do this game? sell out to stop the run. Hopefully we can cover T.Y. Hilton effectively with William Jackson. 
If he's on LaShawn Sims, that's going to be a little bit of a matchup issue. So I'm, I'm a little worried about that. We're going to have to figure out a way where they don't have Hilton one-on-one against Sims too much because then they're going to make some hay in the passing game. And another key is to try to force some turnovers out of Phillip Rivers. He's had a little bit of a rough patch lately, so it's the perfect time to get an early turnover on him. Maybe confuse him somehow. Maybe if we get some really good hit on him that we can knock the ball free, force a fumble. If we get that turnover thing going early, again, getting in the player's psyche, it's going to have a negative effect. It's going to make him a little gun-shy. As much of a veteran as he is, and he's cool, he knows he can bounce back from a turnover, but because of the slide that he's on, let's get one early. And defenders, oftentimes this season we've been in the right spot and just dropped the ball on the interception. So let's clean that up because that could be a real difference maker in a game like this, especially against a team that's so sound. Everything. You have to play sound on both lines. You have to play good special teams. You can't turn the ball over. you got to get your turnovers. The usual formulas for winning. But against a team that's so solid top to bottom, there's a little margin for error. And then the last thing is I know that they're a highly ranked special teams unit, but Brandon Wilson's due. If he gets the ball in his hands, this would be a great game for him to get a big return, help the offense out a little bit. So I'm going into this game with the thought of, I don't know if it's prediction or just wishing, but I hope B. Wilson gets the ball in his hands and does some damage. What's my prediction for the game? We get in sync with our wide receivers. We do some damage with that five-wide setup. And the Bengals win 24-23. to Three touchdowns and a field goal for us, four scoring drives. And the Colts, who are considered the superior team, have five scoring drives. I'll give it to them. But two touchdowns, three field goals. Cincinnati wins by a point. On to two, three, and one. And then bring on the Browns. The unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Andrew Walker, writer for Colts.com. I'd like to welcome in a really special guest. This is Andrew Walker from Colts.com. Andrew, how are you today? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. All right, man. So let's get right down to business. Why are the Colts going to beat the Bengals this week? You know, obviously the odds are going to be what they are heading into this one, and Vegas is going to have the line the way it's going to be. But the Colts were also favored, you know, week one against the, the Jaguars, and ran into kind of a hot quarterback, hot young quarterback who, who was completing a lot of passes and taking what the defense gave him, and the, the Colts ended up losing that game. So you have to be careful. You can't be – it's not like, he, you know, even though if you're heavily favored and it's a home game and you're going to have 12,500 fans in the stands for the first time, it's going to be the, the biggest crowd, obviously, they've had all year. You, you can't let all that kind of affect you. And, and so you have to come in. You're, you're really ticked off after what happened against the Browns last week where – to me, your defense and special teams the second half of the game carried you, gave you every opportunity to come back and win that game, and, and the offense really fell flat. So there's a lot of factors that play ahead into this one. I, I think, uh, like I said, you're going to see a really ticked-off Colts team, which I think should work to to Indy's benefit. Um, offensively, it's been kind of a weird year. You know, week one against the Jaguars, Marlon Mack, the top running back, goes down early in the second quarter with Achilles injury for the year. Um, and the Colts feel really good about what they have to replace him and Jonathan Taylor and the Naeem Hines and Jordan Wilkins. Um, but the run game just really hasn't been able to get going. You know, it's it's been good in spurts, and they really haven't needed it to get going too much um, to this point just because they've been able to, to have some second-half leads in their three wins. But, you know, I look at this Bengals defense, I look at 
really struggling against the run, like 29th in rushing yards per game, 30th in rushing yards per play, um, per attempt. So this could be the type of game that really gets the Colts run game going. And, you know, a couple of years ago when the Colts won nine of 10 down the stretch, you know, it was really the run game that got it going, you know, week six, week seven of that year. And this is, I look at this as a similar type of game that they could use to springboard for the rest of the year. Um, we'll see if that ends up happening. Obviously the Bengals, you know, are reeling a little bit with a, with a, with a couple losses there in defense. Um, and if the Colts can take advantage of it, that'll be big defensively. The Colts have been just solid all year. And, and I think Matt Eberflus defense quarter deserves a lot of credit kind of sticking to his guns, making a few small tweaks here and there, but really, you know, really just sticking to his system, his principles, and, and just letting the players develop within that system. What you're going to see out of the Colts defense is a ton of speed, ton of team speed, um, really good striking ability, really good tackling out of the cornerback, um, but it all starts up front. And DeForest Buckner, the all-pro defensive tackle, acquired uh, for a first-round pick from the 49ers earlier this offseason, has been outstanding. And, and, you know, he's a guy, Bengals fans, big, big 99. They're going to want to circle and watch him all game because he's going to wreck. He's going to try to wreck Joe Burrows, um, you know, this game and, and kind of give him some, uh, a couple more welcome to the NFL moments. I know he's had a couple before and he's done a good job bouncing back from some big hits, but, but, you know, Buckner and Justin Houston, Grover Stewart, Danico Autry, those guys are going to be coming and, and coming fast there up front. Um, the linebacking core, we'll see if Darius Leonard can play the all pro Mr the game against the Browns, but the linebackers are really fast, really talented. Anthony Walker, Bobby Okariki both picked off Baker Mayfield last week, so um, a lot of playmaking there. And then, you know, the cornerback group, Xavier Rhodes, um, has really played well in his first season here in Indy after getting cut by the Vikings. Um, and Rocky Scenes there, but Kenny Moore's the leader of the group. He's a one of the best nickel cornerbacks in the league, and and, um, and then the Colts have a couple really young safeties that – that both do uh, their jobs, their respective jobs very well. And if we're talking special teams, the Colts are simply put, and, and the Bengals can be in this category too. They're one of the best special teams units. They have some of the best special teams units in the NFL. And Isaiah Rogers, the six-round rookie out of UMass, had a 101-yard touchdown return last week. But Rigoberto Sanchez, the punter and kickoff specialist, has been doing a great job pinning teams deep. So is the coverage teams. And, you know, Rodrigo Blankenship, the, the rookie kicker out of Georgia with the specs, everyone will know him. He's leading the league in, in field goals uh, made and points scored. So that's kind of a two-side coin there. The Colts haven't done well in the red zone on offense, but their kicker's, you know, converting those opportunities. So offense, special teams, defense, all that being said, um, like I said, I think the Colts will come in this one ticked off and use that to their advantage. Um, and I think um, it should be a favorable result, but again, can't just go in assuming you're going to win just because the odds makers say you're going to win. You got to go out and actually get the victory. I'll tell you, well put, Andrew. And you know, I'm going to say low key. One thing I do like about the Colts is they have a bunch of really good no-name players at every position. If you look top to bottom, it's a very strong roster without a ton of superstars. Yeah, well, and you know, there there are more superstars that have developed you know quentin nelson at left guard darius leonard like i said deforest buckner's a star philip rivers you know who struggled last week against cleveland didn't mention that um and he's looking to bounce back he's obviously a hall of famer you know um and and ryan kelly's a pro bowl center jack doyle's a, a pro bowl tight end but i don't think most casual nfl fans most casual 
Bengals fans or even hardcore Bengals fans would know, really know, you know, much about a Jack Doyle or a Ryan Kelly or Anthony Costanzo, the left tackle, um, who's one of the better left tackles in the game. We'll see if he can play. He too missed last week with a rib injury. We'll, he returned to practice on, on Wednesday. We'll see if he can come back. I think that's a credit to GM Chris Ballard and just the job he's done building the depth. Um, you know, you look at a guy, you know, Bobby Okariki, the, the second year linebacker had thumb surgery last Monday, put a, you know, a big club on his left hand and goes out and intercepts a pass last week, you know, and, and they really needed that out of their linebackers with Darius Littered out. So, so I look at guys like that. I look at Kenny Moore, you know, guys you've kind of developed in your system who to your, to your point, maybe don't have the accolades. Maybe they aren't considered superstars in this league, but they play like it. Um, they have the production like it. Um, and so, you know, the, the hope is that maybe with a 10, 11, you know, whatever win season this year, compete with the Titans for, for a division title, maybe make a little run in the playoffs. Maybe those guys will start getting the recognition that they deserve. You know what? Very sound principles there. I, I totally agree with you. And I don't mean to disparage anyone because I do agree. Darius Leonard is definitely one of the top five linebackers in the league. And in my opinion, Quentin Nelson is the best offensive lineman in the league. So I do agree with you. They they do have their superstars, but as a roster from top to bottom, it's a lot of guys that you haven't heard of that are really performing well. So I'm worried about you guys. I think it's going to be a very tough game. Yeah, and, and like I said, you know, that's definitely a credit to the GM and, and of course, to the scouting staff um, who have been able to do that. And and really, the, the coaching staff here, the biggest thing I've noticed out of the Colts coaching staff is their teachers. And that sounds simple, but, you know, a lot of times you can run into coaching staffs where the head coach hires his buddies or, you know, however that ends up happening, and you're really not getting the best development. You know, your, your scouting staff goes out and finds these guys and tries to find the best players for your systems. And then they come to your team and they really don't get developed right. Um, and I think what Frank Reich has done has built a staff of not necessarily his buddies or, you know, or whatever, the guys that he thinks can teach the best and teach what they're trying to get across the best. And that's, that's what's happened. And, and, you know, Tom Rathman at, at running backs coach, you know, legendary career with the 49ers as their fullback during the Joe Montana, Steve Young type years, He's, he's the perfect example. He's just a great teacher, very stern, very strict type teacher that, you know, stick to my principles. Here's how we'll do it. Don't, don't you dare fumble that football. And the Colts, uh, r- young running backs have really responded to that. So, um, so yeah, so to this, this staff's credit, the, the teaching has been really good. The players have bought in and, and that, that goes a long way. Andrew, as you're saying this, I'm smiling because that's what I've been saying for years. It's not about X's and O's most of the time. It's about the ability to teach players. And there's two examples. When Marvin Lewis took over the Bengals, he was a great teacher and he brought on coaches that were great teachers. At the time, Jay Gruden and Mike Zimmer, and that progressed the team. So I, I definitely agree with you. And you look at someone like Bill Belichick, he's a teacher. It's, it's, it's X's and O's, but it's also teaching on top of it. So very strong point, and I guess that why I guess that's why it explains why you have a lot of these guys on the Colts that we haven't heard of be great players. Yeah, and and the the cliche is players over plays, but it really proves true. If you know, you can't sit here and think you're just some genius. You know, Frank Wright calls the plays, and Nick Sirianni's offensive coordinator. They work very closely together on on the game plan, and you know, Matt Eberflus is you know he has his you know principles and and all that. 
Bubba Ventrone's a special teams coordinator. You know, a lot of continuity there. They've all been here now. You know, this is going on their third year together. That's great for a staff to have your head coach and your three coordinators together. But they're also just really, really humble and really, you know, they acknowledge the fact that they need to teach the game. Once you get out of the college game, that's not when you stop stop learning the game of football. You know, it's not just you're a professional football player act like it. It's, you know, we brought you here for a reason. We have a certain way we expect you to play, a certain way we expect you to carry yourself in our organization. But we're also going to give you some tools to, to play at the best ability you can. So that's why the back end of the roster on up through the, the Quentin Nelsons and the Darius Leonard's and the Philip Rivers and, and all that, Justin Houston, you know, another superstar type guy. That's why it's so strong from, from top to bottom. Yeah, and it's a well-run organization. And when you think about it, is there anybody out there that actually hates the Colts? Because I can't, you know, when you think of the Steelers, there's hatred there. You know, certain teams are polarizing. But in general, I don't think anybody is really rooting against you guys. Yeah, it was was real fun, you know, being a fan, uh, you know, growing up the first decade of this century with with the Patriots um, and the Colts rivalry. So certainly, you know, I think that's still, you know, not – not still felt maybe necessarily as a rivalry or, or whatever, but there's certainly still feelings of that, you know, when whenever the two teams get together or whenever they're mentioned in the same breath in terms of possible contenders or, or whatever. So there's certainly still that. Um, and then, you know, within the division, of course, there's always going to be, you know, some some aspect of rivalry. But, but for the most part, uh, to your point, I think the Colts just in general are very respected organization uh it starts from the top from jim ursay um his daughters on down you know frank wright chris ballard those are guys that that are easy to root for just because of the um the way they go about their business without a doubt so let's get down to what's going to happen on sunday if i can get you to give me a final score what would you say and why i would think in the 28 to 10 range um with the colts coming out on top of of course yeah i (laughs) I just I, this defense. While the first half against the Browns wasn't great, I don't think I think it was more the Browns kind of making some. I mean, you guys know the the, the Browns' offenses when they can play to their potential, and they have been playing to their potential. I think this year, for the most part, and all the weapons they have, and then the running game and all that, the Browns' offense is just going to make plays, and they were just making crazy acrobatic catches in the first half and Baker Mayfield was doing a good job just kind of finding his weapons in the pass game but the Colts shut down their run game which they've been averaging more than 200 yards per game but in the second half of that game Baker Mayfield had as many completions as he did interceptions too so I think the Colts defense did a really solid job of kind of responding so I'm apt to say you know this number one ranked or whatever Colts defense until they give you a reason not to believe in them, that they're a top five, top three defense, um, I'm going to keep rolling with them. So, I, you know, Joe Burrow's had a great start. I think he's looked great. You know, there's going to be um, a great career ahead for Joe Burrow, and, and he brings so much to the table, you know, being that number one guy. I think he's definitely on the right track. I just think this Colts defense with its speed, you know, with, with its coverage ability, with the guys, they, the, the horses they have up front, I really believe in, in them in, in this matchup against a rookie quarterback. Um, and then offensively, like I said, I think this can be a springboard-type game. You're coming in ticked off. You, you had three series in the first half against the Browns. You couldn't really even get the ball to do anything with it. Um, and then the second half, you're playing catch-up. 
and you know you throw a couple bad picks, a pick six, you have a bad safety. Um, so I think you're going to have a very inspired Philip Rivers. I think this offensive line wants to come in and, and finally start kind of establishing the run the way that they know that they can, the way that they have in the past. Um, so I think it's, it might be a little bit of a breakout game. Um, and it might be closer at halftime, but maybe by the third, fourth quarter, that's when you start kind of seeing a couple flash plays here and there. Defense maybe gets a takeaway or two, and, and then just by the end, it's just a 28-10 to 10 type final. Wow, I got to say, some powerful and very informed takes. Andrew, how do people find you on social media? Uh, yeah, so I'm on Twitter at A Walker Colts. Um, you know, not the most entertaining of, of follows, but um, I do try to provide some some good context into what's going on with the Colts. So A Walker Colts on Twitter. Beautiful man. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, appreciate it. AFC North standings. The Bengals are currently 1-3-1, and and they're three games behind the first-place Steelers. Steelers 4-0, Ravens 4-1, Browns 4-1. Tough division with all three of those teams with four wins already. We got our work cut out for us, so we'll see what happens this season. And also, the Bengals are currently the 11th seed in the AFC. McLeavy Minute. All right, we're here with Tom McLeavy. Tom, how are you today? Good, Frank. How you doing, bud? All right, my man. So what is your opinion on what's going on with the Bengals at this point? Just switch uh, sports. Uh, I just want to give the Red family lost a uh, very important cog in the uh, Big Red machine uh, with the passing of Joe Morgan. Great player, great ambassador for Reds baseball. Truly a big loss. To the Ravens game. Listen, it was bad, but it wasn't bad. I thought the second half, the defense really came to play. If the offense could have generated some possessions in the second half to be more productive, uh, I think that game might have been close. But just the way the Ravens bombarded that offensive line, I, I don't think they blitzed a lot, but they just put a helmet on every offensive lineman. And they said, try and stop us. And like they were bull rushed. Joe Burrow looked human. You know, it just shows Baltimore is just a step above the Bengals right now. Listen, I don't know if Lamar Jackson was hurt. You know, it wasn't himself. But, you know, they, they kept him in the pocket. They didn't let him run. And he was... I, if I was a Raven fan, I wouldn't be happy with the way he looks. I mean, I, I've never saw a quarterback be more accurate on sidearm throws than he was on a normal throw. Uh, he was missing receivers left and right, and that's the knock. If you can keep him in the pocket, you know, let his arm beat you instead of his legs. Um, the Bengals did that, and... Uh, just showed that that's why that game was sort of competitive, but it wasn't. In the fourth quarter, uh, you know, the second or third last possession of the Bengals' offense, you know, Mike Thomas fumbled that pass completion. You know, they were moving. They could have scored there a, a touchdown, meaning. I think Burrow and the offense was starting to get it. It is what it is. Um, I don't know 
why the Bengals aren't looking around to help this offensive line. I, I just can't believe it. And then with DJ Reader, now the injuries are piling up. Now he's gone for the year. Hubbard's out for a couple weeks. So, um, you know, it's not looking good in uh, Cincinnati right now. You know, looking on to the, the Colt game, you know, there are another team where Phillip Rivers isn't playing that well. You know, they're a good, solid team. But, um, you know, here's a, a position where they could maybe steal a game if this offensive line can just gel again and get Mixon going early because uh, I think Joe Burrow got that bad game out of him. And uh, I think he's going to ha- come back and have a good game this week. You know, this game will be interesting to see, like, how they can come out and if the defense can come out and look good like they have been playing um like i said this game could be interesting also to go back to uh you know they did make some changes they didn't start dunlap aj green was on the bench and apparently the camera caught him saying something to a teammate you know just trade me so um maybe they're starting this get rumblings that you know you're not producing but to continue to let this offensive line go out there week in and week out and not addressing it is is mind-boggling x's and o's with sans all right we're here with sans sans how are you today i'm all right how are you doing after a tough loss I don't know, man. It was a tough couple days for me. So can you shed some light in the Ravens game for us? Yeah, so, I mean, the first thing everybody's going to want to know is uh, all about that pass protection, the sacks. There was a bit of, uh, there's some protection breakdowns, definitely. There's, um, the Ravens defensive coordinator, Martindale, is just insanely good at knowing offensive line protection calls and what to do to confuse them and beat them. I mean, it was like a clinic on if you wanted to see how to effectively call pressure and not bring seven or eight guys, bring five or six. They they come down into a late, a lot of late movement. So they're in their base defense. And then after the protection call is made, they shift down and bring more guys at the line of scrimmage and... That leads to a lot of confusion with offensive linemen, whether they're going to block the guy that they saw pre-snap that this is the guy you're responsible for, or if they're going to see, oh boy, there's two or three guys coming off this edge and it's just me and the tight end, I should probably take one of those guys. So that's really what it looked like to me on Jonah's sack that he gave up. He gave up a big pressure right down the interior in the B gap between him and Michael Jordan. His guy pre-snap slants in, and he steps out. He's thinking he's going to take the defensive back that's blitzing, blitzing off the edge, but Drew Sample's there to take that. So he ends up just letting his guy through and not blocking anybody. Other than that, I thought Jonah had a really good game against Matthew Judon, who's a very good pass rusher. I don't have Judon as a single win against him. He was able to stop all of his rushes one-on-one. It was just the one confusion he had. He did give up another play to... Tyus Bowser, I believe, which is weird because Bowser is not as good as Judon, but happens sometimes. So then 
Jonah's correct on the next interior pressure that led to the big interception and the A.J. Green not making the tackle business decision, whatever you want to call that. We moved from two backs in the backfield into empty, and once we did that, the Ravens moved two guys right up to the line of scrimmage, and so they had six guys over our five. And what you want to do there is you want to allow the last guy on the edge through either way, not anybody up the middle. So what happens is Jordan pre-snap has a defensive end in the formation. When the linebacker moves up right in front of him to his right in the A-gap, he doesn't change where he's going to go. So he still blocks the guy off to his left in the B-gap and lets the A-gap rusher right through, which is never what you want to do. And you can tell it's on Jordan because Jonah steps in as if he's going to take the defensive end and then Jordan would step in and take the linebacker because Trey stepped to the right and took the nose tackle almost perfectly blocked up. It's just Jordan went the wrong way. And then that led to a terrible decision by Joe to throw the ball and a worse pass that ended up five, six yards beyond AJ green. But think about that strip sack that Patrick queen had. They brought six guys, seven guys, and we blocked it perfectly. And then Burrow, and the wide receivers are getting clamped up by the cornerbacks. They're getting covered really well. So it's not all on Burrow, but he steps up and then he just starts running left horizontal to the line of scrimmage. You can't give the linebacker and defensive backs enough time to get thrown to the ground and then enough time for them to get up and then go chase you down and make the sack. That's way too long. It's, it's something that you want to see him improve on. We know we have a bad offensive line, and the way to mitigate that would be quicker throws or if he even just scrambled there. You have to know who you're playing with. We don't have all pros all across the offensive line, so you can't just take five, six seconds to throw the ball. You have to help them. But, Sands, I mean, what do they do at this point in the season? We're we're having a lot of problems on the offensive line. If you were either a coach or in the front office, What would you do at this point to try to aid the offensive line and protect Burrow? Probably, I think, the first team I would try to call, and I don't think we're going to make any trades, but I'd probably call the New York Giants and see if we could get Zeitler from them. Even if it's like a third-round pick, I'm willing to part with that. We need help, and Zeitler would take over for one of the spots we need help most because Redman, as good as he played last week, which I thought he was decent last week, he didn't. He played well run blocking and did not play well pass blocking this week. I think everybody already thinks this. We need to trade A.J. Green or somebody for an offensive lineman. I just don't think they have much value right now. The time to trade A.J. Green was in the offseason or last year. He's kind of tanked his own value this year. Wow, good point, man. Do you have any other thoughts on the Ravens game? Yeah. Uh, defensively, we played really well, I thought. And we came out in a 4-3 look. And that's the first time we've played a 4-3 base since the Ravens last year. So I think it's kind of something that we just do against them. I mean, it'll be interesting if we do that against the Colts. But I think we like to do that against the Ravens because they like to have a fullback. So they can insert an extra guy for run blocking. So we want to have a linebacker there to insert against him. I thought we did a good job holding Lamar. I don't know if he was injured at all, but he wasn't breaking off anything. 
he constantly was getting tackled or forced to throw the ball away. Darius Phillips' position might actually be a slot cornerback. He had an amazing game, especially blitzing. Uh, four blitzes in the first half, and every single one of them resulted in an incompletion and a quarterback hit, bringing him four times, and every single time we got to Lamar, Lamar never juked him out, never threw the ball because we blitzed, didn't get a pass off early. That's crazy good from Darius Phillips. And Logan Wilson had a great game when he was in. That play where he like fake blitz and then drop back and got the interception that's there's nothing more you can ask from somebody he occupied a blocker to allow the pressure and then he dropped back to make a play on the ball that's perfect i actually thought maybe we could put a cornerback on andrews because their only real threat in the passing game other than him was marquise brown but we didn't i mean even if we had a good guy on him he's still bigger than him he can box him out i'd just rather lamar have to throw a box out than an open route Good point. But you know yeah, what? That's... When we when we see them again, if everyone's healthy, that might be a, a job for Mackenzie Alexander to, to cover Andrews. I actually really love that idea, and I like the idea of playing him and Phillips like that, and maybe they can both take turns. I think we talked about it before we recorded, but yeah, Phillips looks like a great slot cornerback, and Mackenzie's coming back as can one of them play boundary, but what if... I know, I'm just spitballing here, but what if we played a a 4-2 nickel look? We remove uh, Gaither, and we have both of those cornerbacks in there. I'd trust one of them to cover Mark Andrews, and then the other one can, like Phillips today, was blitzing like crazy and doing a great job at it. And then if it doesn't work, Phillips is, or if we don't want to bring Phillips on the blitz, we put him on Boykin or whoever their second receiver is. And I do want to say Lou Anarumo has called two very good games in a row. The game plan today, and John Harbaugh said they came out and did stuff we didn't expect. What he means is all these slot cornerback blitzes playing a 4-3. He changed things up for the opponent, and it worked. I know they scored 27, I believe, but it worked. That, those were from, what, a fumble return for a touchdown. There was another fumble that caused a short field. I believe the interception caused a short field. They only gave up two real long drives. Well, Sands, you know what? Great analysis on that game. Let's move on to the next game now. And what are your thoughts on the on the matchup against the Colts? Like, what are you thinking about the, the game against the Colts? It's going to be like the opposite. Uh, they're going to bring nobody extra, usually. They blitz about 10%, I believe, of the time. They still get pressure at 33%, at a 33% clip, because they have... Two elite players on their defensive line and a few other good ones, but definitely look out for DeForest Buckner. We faced him last year, and he killed us. He was with the 49ers then. And they have Justin Houston, who he's been around for a while, and he's still as good as he once was. If they're going to beat us, they're going to beat us because DeForest Buckner put Alex Redman on his back and is coming right at Joe Burrow. Or Justin Houston turned the edge on Bobby Hart. And we probably will give up a few sacks. I don't trust our offensive line against that. But I do think it should go better just because they're not bringing five or six guys and they're not trying to confuse our offensive line. They're basically playing like, we're coming at you with our guys and we're better than you. They're going to play a lot of too high, which is too high safeties. So the deep area of the field is going to be a little bit more closed than it was against 
the Ravens. They don't have as good of cornerbacks, although Xavier Rhodes is having a good year, and they do have a pretty good slot cornerback in Kenny Moore. So that'll be a fun matchup with him and Tyler Boyd. And then on offense, I think as a lot of people know, the Colts' offensive line is very good. There are less tackles injured right now, though. So their backup didn't look good last week, although we faced Miles Garrett. Uh, we have Carl Lawson, who's good. So Lawson might be able to take advantage of their left tackle being out if he's still out. Other than that, I mean, Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly is possibly the best guard-center combo in the league. Glowinski's kind of a weak spot at right guard. And then Braden Smith at right tackle is pretty good. Overall, it makes a very good line when Costanzo, their left tackle's in. But without him, it's more like a pretty good offensive line rather than a very good offensive line. Uh, they're pretty lacking on wide receivers right now. I think their only starter still is T.Y. Yeah, Paris Campbell's out, I believe. Yeah, he hurt his knee. And Michael Pittman was out last week, so I think he's still out. They have the rookie Jonathan Taylor running the ball. They're probably going to run a lot on us, and it's probably going to work pretty well. So, Sands, what's your prediction on the score for the game? Coming off the tough loss, I mean, I said that last week. I think we play well, but I do think the Ravens are just out, and I kind of think the same this week. I mean, they're favored by nine, which I think is too much. It's just that they match up well with us, and they're a good team. If we can get Phillip Rivers to make some mistakes, we could probably pull something out, and he hasn't been good at all this year. But I just think with their offensive line and running the ball, that's going to be tough. I don't know. I I guess I'd say 28-24. I think the Colts do win. All right. Well, I got you on that. I hope I hope that the score is the opposite, and I hope it's 28-24 <laughs> Bengals. But... Hey, I, I do, too. I'm not hoping for us to lose i'm just trying to give an honest no i know i know you're the you're the realist of the bunch i i I definitely agree with you (laughs) all right sans how do people find you on social media i'm at bangles underscore sans on both twitter and instagram sans thanks again for coming on man yeah thank you for having me handy coppers corner the unofficial Bengals podcast current record is eight wins, seven losses, 53%. Okay, here are my three picks for the week. Green Bay minus one at Tampa, the Rams minus three at the Niners, and KC minus four at Buffalo. I'm going with three road games, so wish me luck. Whatever you decide to bet on, I wish you good luck as well. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be entirely dedicated to reviewing the Colts game. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you guys should check out. And I'd also like to give a shout out to at Bengals, the Fanzone 23 on Instagram. And that's the guy who does all the cover art for the unofficial Bengals podcast. Brandon, I really appreciate everything you're doing for the show. And lastly, I'd like to thank the Zedia Network the network responsible for bringing you the unofficial Bengals podcast. You can find them at Zedia Network on Twitter or Instagram. And Zedia is just like the word media, only with a Z. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.